Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this, and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, real quick before we get started on the show, I'm just going to talk about Treeline Academy. You've heard me say it. I can't even tell you how many times. Um, Mark Livesey is treelineacademy.net. That's treelineacademy.net. Sign up. Use the promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20 bucks. Can't say it enough. It's awesome. Amazing. Most comprehensive e-scouting course out there. Check it out for yourself. Sign up. Use promo code PC2020. And now let's get to the show. All right, so I'm sitting here, and I am talking to Jessica Caldwell, or Jess Caldwell. And uh, Jess, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, thanks. So I am a professional rewilder. I have created that name for myself <laughs> and my professional title. <laughs> and um, this last year, I have had an incredible journey that started on January 1, 2020, that I wanted to do one thing each week to rewild my life. And I started a field notes blog where I could really keep myself accountable for always learning. And because this world of rewilding is a big, big thing to chew. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, and we can go into what that means to me, but I knew that I wanted to dive into this nature-based education and that there was a lot to learn. And uh, rather than get overwhelmed by it, I just said, let's do one thing a week to really engage and learn uh, in my partnership with the outdoors. And I really called that my rewilding. And I started this Field Notes blog and I've been at it every week doing something 
that's in the uh, realm of foraging, fishing, hunting, uh, practicing with my bow, uh, community building, self-sufficiency, wilderness survival, uh, all of these topics I just took on and it's been a, a great ride. So in my mind, when I hear re- rewilding, I think of the disconnect that man or modern human civilization has now from nature. And we've gotten yeah. so far disconnected, staring at screens, not getting outside other than to be our daily commute. And what's that a few minutes a day, getting in and out of a car, going from building to building and never truly spending time or reconnecting with nature. So yeah. is that your definition of rewilding in like a nutshell or what to you, what is your definition of rewilding? Yeah. And that's a, that's a great summary because it is a bit of a personal uh, rewilding has been a personal journey for me. And I've been working on that definition as I grow with what this is for me. Um, You know, if you just look up rewilding, it's more of a statement that refers to ecological restoration of say a natural of a forest and the rewilding of that forest is to is to bring back ecological balance and so if i really just apply that then that we are all uh, biological beings sentient beings that have our own ecosystem then i really can say that my body my mind my spirit is also going and needing a rewilding so that i can uh, get back to a more natural rhythm of uh, operation and also balance because yes, we are out of balance in our modern society for sure. I think most people can agree with that. And um, I think, you know, nature deficiency and higher levels of anxiety and depression and health uh, issues, health concerns, relationship concerns, all the things that we're going through as whether you look at the micro or the macro level here from just even our own well-being to the health of our society and our communities, we've struggled in the last, you know, we're, we're just kind of constantly in a state of struggle. We all, there's wins, there's things that are going well, but I do think that I'm just choosing to take my part in saying, I don't want to feel like crap. And I think many people experience, especially when the pandemic hit, such a shift in reality where we were all having to kind of look at our lifestyle and our lives and say, what, what, you know, what matters? What am, what am, what am I doing? How is this relevant? Life is changing. People are going to the grocery stores and stockpiling and um, food and feeling the vulnerability of a system that is can malfunction that that isn't necessarily riding on uh, uh, all cylinders. I mean, we've got issues here. And I think for me, the answer has been rewild my life. And um, I have kind of an interesting path with that. I actually used to be a a prepper, um, like a doomsday prepper, if if you will. Um, And I spent probably 10 years in that world. I was, I sold emergency food and I sold, um, I, I did emergency preparedness training and, um, and my husband built bunkers for a living actually at the Pretty time, cool. my ex-husband <laughs> <laughs> and we were full on <laughs> and, you know, I would meet with people and ask them what their worst case scenario was. And we would, you know, I heard a lot of things and I lived that lifestyle of, of 
of stockpiling and and it, there's nothing wrong with being i mean we i think the the more people realize that um we just there is something to having more more self-sufficiency and and living in a more conscious way about the vulnerabilities of the world that we're living in but the problem that i was in 10 years ago when i lived that lifestyle is it was out of balance even with the rhythm of nature it was out of it wasn't in partnership with nature it wasn't it was it was a uh, it was like separate worlds almost like the more i could just you know stockpile to have food storage and this and that but i i couldn't go out and and you know take an animal i didn't know how to shoot i didn't know how to forage i didn't know actually how to live in the cycle of um of the seasons and what nature was right there saying this is what we're here to do is have this partnership and this relationship humans have oh you know we live here we've lived here for a long time and we've lived without costco in our <laughs> in our history and and i think for me when i left that lifestyle because i was feeling the imbalance of fear based living and i went down a whole path i became a yoga instructor i was meditating all the time i was trying to find my uh my peace in a chaotic world and um that totally i didn't really find my answers there either um i didn't really find i feel like i've been kind of in one extreme to the next of uh trying to find my way and my path and honestly this last year when i um when i lost my job uh, as a marketing director because our i worked for a theater and our theater closed down our performing arts theater because of the pandemic uh we, we were no longer having touring artists and and big you know big stage of big audience so i found myself in one of those pivotal moments of what am i doing here what's my thing um i don't want to go down the path of a fear driven uh preparedness i actually just want to feel more alive um because i felt like many have expressed numbness just a numbness of of uh being too plugged in to the world of modern society and one thing after the next i've been unpeeling that cord um spending more time in nature as much as time as possible learning everything i have possibly could have time in my day to learn from mentors to learn just getting out there hands on doing everything i can to say how did humans do this how did we live all these you know all these generations how did our ancestors do it how did my great grandparents do it and um why is it that we're struggling and suffering and having more mental illness and stress and I'm just out to change that script for myself. I love it. I absolutely love it. I've never really considered myself a prepper, but I will say I've always been prepared. I've never lived in fear like, oh my gosh, what if this happens or what if that happens? But it's always been, I mean, where I live and the way my wife and I live, it's a very rural lifestyle. There's always some sort of livestock here on our little homestead. You know, there's always a full pantry, all those sorts of things that because we don't want to run an hour to the store to go get something, you know, and that's more of our lifestyle than necessarily a prepper lifestyle. But when there was the whole rush and the mad dash to all the grocery stores and things like that, we never really 
it never truly concerned us because we start our own seeds, we grow a garden, you know, all those things we can, we preserve. I can some of my wild game. There's always that aspect of just preparedness, but it's not in a preparedness like for the apocalypse or a doomsday type scenario. It's like, well, it's better to have than to not have for those type of things, but it's never a like a a mad rush to stockpile or anything. So I just find it kind of interesting, like how did the whole fear-based thing become? Was it just you started learning or realizing about things or how did that end up to where it became such an involved lifestyle? Because I mean, 10 years, that's a, a long, long dedicated time to be doing that. And if you're selling all this food, I'm guessing you're stockpiling food. And at that point, you know, it's like, okay, how do we break this down so we can have, you know, a year or two supply food for each person in the family or this and that like my plans were never if something truly did happen like that my plans were to educate myself educate my children to where they could go out and actually forage and get these things and seasonally i mean whether you're spiritual or believe in god i mean there is a rhyme and a reason to every cycle of nature and mm-hmm. god truly provides it's always there for you right when you need it from herbal medicine to whatever as long as you can put it away when he gives it to you and i'm starting to like really realize that as i dive into the foraging as well and it's just like these are blessings every single thing that happens and the way it happens is a blessing and it's like you know the black walnuts that i harvested this fall and you know taking some of the hulls and soaking them in alcohol and extracting the iodine and using that for like a wormer or you know as a medicine or all those different things it's like and the fact that the nuts, the nuts can store for a few years in the shell and you've got them and you can crack them as needed and just the flavor they add to the cookies, everything about it is truly a blessing. And now I'm really getting into learning about chestnut trees. And I just talked to uh, Michael Judd and he's a per, uh, permaculturist and like the things he's been teaching me. And now I've inoculated my own logs just so I can have fresh oh, mushrooms cool. and medicine and all those things. And it's like, if we could all just reconnect a little bit more and go back to different farming practices and get more into agroforestry and those things to where there's not a reliance on anything anymore because it's a balance. And I could see where you wanted to find that balance and it's pretty cool. So I'm going to ask you though, you can answer the question about the stockpiling of the food and how it, like, it, it became so fear-based versus your, like, the pivotal shift that you try and lead, finally decided to try and find center. Yes. Well, you know, there's a difference between it. I had a moment and my moment of um, recognizing that I was kind of on the, because, you know, there is, there's really empowerment to keeping some stored food. I mean, everyone should have some food stored away because anything could happen. Um, You know, in the Pacific Northwest, we have all sorts of things that could happen here from earthquakes to, um, to floods. I've got friends that I just talked to today in the Snohomish area who are, you know, they they're snowed in, they can't, they can't leave. And so it's always great to have uh, a full pantry and things you need to ride out a storm. That is just wise practice. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> um, but where the, I think where I was at with it was a, was a little more extreme because I had, you know, I had two years storage, you know, I I was planning, I was in it professionally, and I was (laughs) hearing it all the time and listening to people's stories and, and always thinking of, of worst case scenarios, because that was my job. 
And I, I got to a point, I remember I was, I was a couple things happened fairly close together. I was planning a trip to Hawaii. Um, I actually used to live on the island of Kauai and I was wanting to go back and visit some family there. And I canceled the trip the night before I left because I was, I was, you know, checking out my, uh, there was massive solar flares and I was like dialed into like the solar flares, you know, and I was like, you know what? I don't really feel, I don't think this is a good time to be flying in a plane. There's high solar flare activity. And I was, I was nerding out on that stuff to where I canceled my trip. And then the, um, not long after my family lives in Portland, Oregon. So they're just a state away from me. I'm currently near Olympia, Washington. And I had two young kids at the time and I packed them up. And every time I'd visit my family in Portland, I'd count, I'd count the rivers of like how many rivers I had crossed going, okay, well, there's this threshold that if I hit a certain threshold of rivers, I'm not going to be able to make it back to our, to the, to our <laughs> land and to our, you know, I mean, I, it kind of became a bit of a neurotic way of thinking. Um, and I, I got to Portland once I crossed the, the, the big river there that, that <laughs> divides Oregon and Washington, there's no going back. I'm in Oregon. And I remember it at about two in the morning, I woke up with, um, anxiety because I thought a big earthquake was coming. I, I felt anxious. I felt like, you know what? I can, I can feel it. There's something coming. I don't feel safe. I need to get my kids home. And I packed up my kids at two in the morning and I drove back home and my parents thought I was nuts. Um, and you know, I, I re- recognize nothing happened, you know, we got home just fine, but there was something really off about me, which was this, um, I was starting to not leave the safety of our, our Mecca of, you know, we were like in that, my favorite movie is Tremors, you know, with uh, oh, Kevin Bacon and, <laughs> you know, and I was like the Reba McIntyre of that. like, you know, and I was, and it's like, I was ready for anything, but then it stopped me from living um, because it's like, I just wasn't getting out. And I actually developed a lump in my throat and I went to a naturopath um, and I was like, okay, what's going on? I got a lump in my throat. I was very concerned. And um, after ton of blood work and things. He, he actually said, all right, what's going on with you and fear because your blood works fine. And this is actually, there's actually a term called like hyper globule, you know, paranosum or something like that bizarre, but it literally is a lump in the throat due to anxiety. And I think I started to just have a real shift from that point on that I was not thriving and something was off. Um, And at the time I didn't, you know, I used yoga and meditation and a divorce to kind of pacify (laughs) what I had going on. (laughs) Um, Maybe, you know, but it it still wasn't the thing, you know, it's like I, what I was missing, there's like this big disconnect that what I needed in my spirit, what I needed in my, in, from my journey was my my partnership, the partnership with nature, that nature is just waiting there, waiting for us to arrive and saying, you know, I got you like, like you, there's a wisdom, you know, nature is intelligent. It's extreme intelligence. Like you were saying about the things that, that grow. I mean, mushrooms are extreme intelligence. You know, when you, um, when I look at uh, uh, nettles, we, we have a lot of stinging nettle um, grows beautifully here. And they're one of my favorite wild um plants from both the, an edible side, medicinal side, but they, um, they are growing and emerging in the spring, just when allergy season is 
circling around and everyone goes and takes their allergy medications. And you just got to go harvest out some of those spring nettles and make yourself nettle tea because the nettle is for allergy relief. And, um, and it gives you that right in the time when everything else is uh, there's pollen and different things. So it's funny how nature has these rhythms and these cycles um, that are, are so supportive and we just lost our wisdom, our, our connection to the intelligence that, that we also have. But when we remove ourselves from, from that intelligence and we completely plug in to what's being fed to us, just very much like that movie, The Matrix. I mean, I, that visual of just being up like a, a, like a body that's feeding the, the queen energy, the queen bee of technology, it's freakish to think about, but truly unplugging from our devices, unplugging from technology and really immersing into the, um, into what's available to us in the, in the most highest intelligence of nature, there is an awakening that happens. There is some, there's a download we can get, um, that gives us a lot of answers. And it's the thing I just didn't realize, you know, I've always loved the outdoors, but I was probably more of your kind of, um, weekend warrior, like, you know, let's go for a hike, which is great. It's super cool to go for a hike, but there was something missing in my participation with finding, you know, knowing what food is available, knowing what plants provide medicine, what plants provide uh, food utility, being able to harvest food for myself, being able to have more of a resilient mind mind and body from being from exposure. You know, we are, uh, we're also have extreme comfort pacification oh going goodness. on <laughs> and it's making us weak. That could um, be a two hour conversation on that. Right. Alone. It's a, it's a weakness of our, of our very strength as humans, that if our day is spent at mostly on a computer um, or plugged in, or we get home and we ra- relax with movies after we've spent a day on the computer. There is a softening happening of of our of our spirit, of our mind, and our bodies. And the only way to, I mean, I used to be a treadmill runner, but like not anymore. You know, like I don't do. That's not the form of fitness I do anymore. It's it's mindless. It's it it's it's part of it's the wheel. You know, it's like I have found <laughs> that rain or shine going out and taking, uh, you know, for my workout or for my activity, getting outside, putting on rain gear, if needed, snow gear, if needed and moving more functionally. Um, it's been a game changer. It's changed my life. And, uh, I, I still haven't, you know, there's no finish line here. It's not like I've, you know, found the answer I am discovering through rewilding what it means to be alive and to have my senses more activated, I feel like my intuition is coming back, a, a sense of um, self, a sense of peace. Um, and it's not about, you know, anything could happen. We, you know, the world could have a, a cataclysmic event or a, my town could have a cataclysmic event. And it's not, I don't have the food storage I used to have. That's like, you know, I walked away from all that <laughs> uh, in a divorce. <laughs> Uh, but what I do have is I have a strength that's growing in me that, um, that makes me, you know, feel just, it's a different form of, 
resiliency and preparedness and a sense of being able to handle anything. Absolutely. Like I will admit my treadmill, I am plugged into the matrix because mine even has the screen on it now. So now <laughs> I try and immerse myself in that when I get on it. I haven't been on it for a while and I feel pretty bad about that, but that's going to happen here pretty soon <laughs> now that hunting season's wound down. But um, it's, it's, it's gotta be somewhat freeing though, to know <laughs> that now you have that reconnection. I always find myself being centered every time and, and guys at work will be like, why are you you're taking 10 days? You're going to hike in the mountains. You're going to live in the mountains out of a backpack, you know, miles and miles upon miles a day. And they're like, that just sounds terrible. It sounds stressful. That's not relaxing. I'm like, no, it is stressful, but it's freeing. And that freeing ability that I have to go out there and tax myself and know that I did it to know that every day or even hunting here, when I take my rutcation and I hunt during the rut, my vacation, and I'll t- every day, 3.30 a.m., getting up, driving, taking the canoe off the truck, putting it in the water, paddling in wherever I'm going, doing all that stuff, getting set up, watching the sun rise, watching the sun set, mm-hmm. being out there in nature, trying my best not to be on my phone at all. All those mm-hmm. things and that reconnection that I get, the calming sense that I get when I'm done with that resets me for a month, you know, depending on how many days I do it. You know, and I guess, I mean, you could go back to the whole Michael Easter comfort crisis thing if you really wanted to. And just the three day effect or those personal misogies that you have are so big in your life. And if people don't realize that they're missing out on tons of opportunities to do that. And it's and I could tell that you've totally got that sense of rejuvenation, that sense of self from doing these things. And there's that fire burning in you to just learn more. And that's so cool because. Everybody that I can surround myself that has that and I have it myself and I see it in my children when I take them out and their grandma will come over and they'll be picking things and they'll be eating dandelion leaves and say, they're kind of bitter. They're better if you cook them, things like that. Or, you know, oh, this is uh, whatever wood sorrel and hey, these are nettles and this is this. And I think this is this mushroom, but we better go ask my dad and just things like that and getting their curiosity and actually teaching somebody else as a child, they're teaching somebody that is a sense of accomplishment. That's a sense of pride. And it's really, really cool to see. And it just, I can see you beaming right now because I know you, you have that same feeling and it's great. Absolutely. It's great to share that with people. So I got to ask you though, like, how did the journey start after the yoga and all these other things that weren't really filling that sense? What, what was your first step? What did you do to try and rewild yourself that you could learn? Was it just spending time in nature or was it actually learning a skill? I, I honestly didn't even know I was missing it. Like I didn't even know, um, I didn't grow up with a family that hunted or I'd never been fishing, hunting, um, that, you know, we, that just wasn't my lifestyle growing up. And so I, you know, here I am, I'm a 45 year old woman. So I don't have like this, (laughs) this isn't in my history. And, um, I went, Oh gosh, I went ice fishing for the first time. I had a, uh, I went, someone invited me ice, ice fishing and I went out there. And like you said, I, and I read the comfort crisis. It was my favorite read of the summer of 2020. Um, but I, I went out there and I spent a day on the ice and yeah, it's cold, but reeling up a big old perch and then taking all this fish home and, and having, you know, he showed me how to, how to gut the fish. And then we're cooking up fish tacos that night. And it was truly like 
you pull up fish from the ice, you take it home, it turns into dinner. And, you know, when I got back, my face was wind burnt and, you know, I, you know, I took a hot shower, but I had a smile on my face that literally was ear to ear, you know, where it was like, I felt, I hadn't felt that, um, just awakened in a long time. Like it would just, it's like, uh, I felt like I did something really important. And that really important thing was putting in the time to bring home dinner. And, and I just couldn't even believe it. I just like had not ever had an experience like that. And that fishing trip led to more fishing trips. And I bought all my own ice fishing gear And I would have these experiences of going out and, you know, always in the elements, my favorite thing, and you mentioned it, but when I can get out somewhere, whether it's fishing and I I went salmon fishing in Idaho this last summer and you're up and and this was combat fishing. I mean, I've never seen anything like it, you know, I, it was wild, but you're up with your spot before dawn and you're just waiting till, you know, legal fishing hour. But there is something absolutely extraordinary about watching the sunrise, going from pitch black, dark headlamp on to watching the colors change and watching that shift from total darkness to those subtle hues of color coming in all the way to that first sunlight that comes and pops up over a ridge. I mean, it, I think that experience alone is changes your brain frequency. I think it changes your program. I think it's literally like, you know, how we're all, when when we talk about being plugged into our phones and we're getting all this data and all this information being fed to us, I actually think the rising of the sun is doing the same exact thing. It's, it's also literally giving us information. It's giving us insight. It's giving us feedback. It's giving us color. It's giving us energy and all of this is happening in these, in the color spectrum, in the full spectrum. And I do feel that there's something we're getting from that sunrise uh, because it changes me. I mean, I know it. I know that when I watch a sunrise in the elements, I am different that day than if I haven't. Something's different. Um, and I think that's one of the gifts and the wisdom. And we probably don't even know all of the intelligence that's happening, all of the exchange that's happening on a molecular level when we are um, in the elements witnessing a sunrise. But I know that there's information being uh, given and I know that there's something I am receiving. And uh, it's probably one of my favorite things to do. And I've been out before dawn. I, in fact, just <laughs> two days ago, um, my my ex-husband's pond flooded. Good thing we're dear friends. Um, but when it does, there's a ton of ducks and goose, uh, the geese that fly in there. Um, I mean, it's just like waterfowl central. And I was just introduced to um, duck hunting and now I'm hooked. So um, I had to take my kid into school. Uh, I've got a 15 year old and an 18 year old, and we had to leave at 750 in the morning and legal shooting hours started at 725. So I ran, I got up, got geared up in my waders, got over there at dark, set up in the blind by myself. And I just watched the sunrise and I only had 20 minutes. Like it was just me for 20 minutes out there. Of course, I didn't, I didn't get anything. Um, but that rest of that day that I started my day off in the cold, in the snow, watching the sunrise 
and just being there for that 20 minute window, you know, it, I had a smile on my face all day. I felt like I walked with a different, um, sense of joy than if I just set, you know, wake up in the morning with my coffee and I'm late and I'm, I'm just in the, I'm in that, like, uh, that matrix, you know, that, like when the day starts without you, you know, when you haven't been the creator of the day, it's like, when you're just going off with the alarm and you're going off of the rush, rush of your daily routines. Um, I love to change that up and feel like I'm the one that's, that has control over my day. And when I start off early and get to catch a sunrise or be outside to me, that's where I become the, I become more a part of the creative, uh, joyful participant in my life. And so for people who don't have the opportunity to be out hunting, I mean, I've got friends and family who that's not an option for them. You know, they're not going to be able to get out there and, and go hunting in the morning or, uh, you know, it's not, it's not accessible for everybody, but a sunrise is accessible for most people. And so for me, I think that's a great way to just incorporate rewilding for absolutely everybody, no matter where you live. Um, even if you're in an urban center, you can get up before the sunrise and you can get outside and you can sit and you can just witness the miracle of a new day and get that energy frequency exchange of what this, what, what those hours are giving us. And they are powerful. I believe yeah. at least that's my experience. Absolutely. I honestly have to say that my best memories, my hunting memories, or even not hunting memories are etched so deeply into my brain are sunrises. Mm. Some of like, like I was talking to you about my first buck kill with a bow that is etched into my mind forever. First light sun peeking through the trees, the rays I could see in my mind right now, I could still see the rays shining over the buck's back and just like the little tufts of light coming through the, the leaves that were still on the tree shining over the different patches of his fur in my mind and it's just amazing and i think one of the best things i've ever heard and i can't even remember who said it but they said you have a finite number of sunrises in your life how many are you willing to miss Hmm. and when i wake up in the morning and i'm dog tired and don't want to get up and go hunting that's the first thing i think about and it's true even if i don't see a deer that morning just getting that sunrise, even if I'm tired the rest of the day, there's still that sense of accomplishment, that sense of feeling, that sense of purpose and knowing that there's something bigger than my being or my existence in the world, but I'm part mm-hmm. of it. And that's Absolutely. what makes it cool. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think sitting around a fire does that as well. Like being in, in front of a live fire, you know, whether that's a campfire, there's something that there's, there's something that happens to our, again, to our brains when we stare at fire, you know, and it's we have, isn't it? it is, it really is. It's a mystery, but it, 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 it but it's real. I mean, it's a, it's real to me. There's visions. Like I sit around a campfire and in my head, I see the visions of people who came before me. I see them staring into those flames. I think about Fred bear sitting there around a campfire telling stories. I think about Nesmuk. And all those different people, you know, George Washington Sears just sitting there, staring at a campfire by himself in the wilderness somewhere. The indigenous people, just so many people that have that same connection that you have. That is something that's truly amazing, too. I see that every time I sit at a fire, I just intently 
stare into it and think of all the other things and people that have stared into them as well. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. And fire brings people together. I mean, that that's another piece that I think is um, important in the, when I use this word rewilding. Yes, it's a personal journey for me, but community and humans have always needed one another. I mean, we, we, you know, we're in this thing together and, and we don't thrive when we are completely isolated and we don't thrive when we don't have connection. Um, and so I, a part of what I'm experiencing with what I term my personal rewilding is finding ways to connect with community and to connect with others, because that does something to change. You know, when you talk, when I've talked about like fear I've experienced or, uh, or disconnect of any kind, I mean, coming together with people is really important to our existence and really important to our nervous system and really important to our, um, to our, our, just the human nature of, of that we are social creatures and, um, and we are meant to be in isolation. I think it's been a really challenging year with so many people isolating. Uh, I think, I think it's been a really challenging year, uh, or two years now. I mean, we're coming up actually more, more than a year. Um, but I think for me, what, you know, I've been putting on events, uh, through my company, Wildkind Academy, and bringing people together to learn and to um, have learn traditional skills. I've uh, I've since gosh, this last year, I'll just list off some of the courses that I've put on through Wildkind Academy. Uh, we've done shellfish foraging, um, basket weaving, traditional basket weaving. Uh, I've done um, wilderness survival. Uh, I've got fire school, you know, I've done a lot of different courses that I've offered and I usually bring in a guest instructor. Um, We've done intro to archery, but every time it's a live course and people come and especially at the beginning of last year, for example, I had a basket weaving course and there was some immune challenged people who came. And they had, I mean, they shared with me, I'm immune challenged. I haven't seen, no one wants to be around me. Mm. <laughs> and they're like, you're the first person that's offered to have something for me to do. And they, they came and they, at the end of the event, asked for a hug from me and said, can, can I hug? Can we hug? And I was like, Gosh. 100%, you know, bring it in, like, bring it in. And we hugged hard, you know, and there was tears and, um, that what, what, what's been expressed to me is the loneliness that was happening, um, was so detrimental and so sad and so hard. And, um, and, you know, people have been weaving baskets together and making, you know, utility, you know, making things together and creating together and learning together and producing together and, you know, hunting together since the dawn of time. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we don't do that. (laughs) You know, all of a sudden it's, it's like, uh, it's an, it's the, it's a, it's a phenomenon to, to the culture of, of humanity. So I know that, that for rewilding, um, part of what I've been experiencing is that doesn't, it's not isolated to the individual. It's cultural. It's, it's our humanity. It's making sure that we find connection and, um, 
and love and understanding because that also opens ourselves up and it opens up our our hearts and our minds for um because you know that it it's it's part of it. It you can't have like I can't rewild without hunting. Like hunting is a you I cannot rewild without harvesting food. You know, if I if my only access to food is to go to a grocery store and pick up a very well packaged you know meat uh frozen meat package I have completely disconnected myself from from rewilding. If I isolate myself in my home, in my temperature controlled home with, uh, I have completely removed myself from, from, you know, what it means for my body to regulate temperature for my body to know what to do, you know, when it's cold out. And if I completely remove myself from touch and humans and laughter and holding of hands and hugging, well, that's all, that's just as problematic. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine. I mean, we, we made a choice that we weren't going to isolate ourselves or remove ourselves from people, but people that did that or didn't have anybody else to, to be around. And, and luckily my family is for the most part, like-minded like me. So we were still communal and got together, but I, I can't, I can't even imagine or fathom. Now, granted, I am kind of like a lone wolf kind of guy, and I go and do a lot of my things on my own, you know, as far as going in nature and stuff, but that's got to be tough. And that's really cool that, you know, you were able to do that and connect with those people and give them a new hope or a sense of purpose or belonging and hopefully progress them along and not keep them in the state of isolation that they were in. That's pretty neat. But I have to ask you, I got to... Like, so these skills that you developed and like, we'll, we'll get into, I mean, what started first? Was it the basket weaving? Was it the foraging? Was it herbalism or did it all come at once? Cause I mean, you said one thing a week, right? So yeah. how, how did you do it? How did you compartmentalize it and how did you compound upon it? Well, it was, it was the one thing a week and it helped that, um, I was, you know, it started in January and so it was like, okay, what's happening Right now, um, I had to do a little research and look into things like what's what's growing right now. What's you know what's uh, uh, what is it I can engage in? What can I fish right now? What's happening in in the in the in the natural world? And that's where mentorship came in. I really reached out and got a lot of help and asked asked people to show me and what what are you doing? You're outdoorsy. What what are you fishing right now? What do you you know what do you what are you harvesting right now? And I asked a lot of questions and I, I took a lot of action to reach out for mentorship. Um, I didn't try to do this alone. I, I made sure that I was reaching out to people who live this lifestyle and getting help. And so just depending on what week it was, um, I would, I would, you know, I remember one week uh, I went out and got pulled the pitch off of uh, Douglas fir trees and made a Douglas fir sap, you know, and, and uh, that was my rewilding just, you know, one thing it's like, it can start very, it doesn't have to be some big extravagant fishing trip. You know, it was like, it's like, all right, it's still winter. What can I do? And uh, you know, and so I like to tell people to just, just, even if you just pick like four plants that you learn in one year, just four, because it is overwhelming to just learn all this stuff. I mean, hunting itself. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm like, it. (laughs) it's so overwhelming, you know, all of it is, but I'm trying to not do that. I'm just, just take one thing and try it, you know, and incorporate it into your life. And the thing about four plants that are cool is 
you know, you can, you can pick a plant like dandelions. You mentioned dandelions and check out what that plant does year round because you're maybe popping the beautiful little yellow flower tops off in the summer and frying them up as a fritter. Mm -hmm. And then maybe later in the fall in the winter, you're pulling up the root and you're making dandelion root tea or you're, you know, sauteing that or you're using it as medicine. So every plant, depending on what season it is, has an offering. Um, sometimes, uh, when, when the energy is in the flower or is the energy in the fruit or is the energy in the roots. So, so even if you pick one plant every quarter, you know, in the, in the winter this weekend, uh, with wild kind Academy, I've got a guest instructor coming in, Karen Sherwood with Earthwalk Northwest. She was a teacher for the Tom Brown junior tracker school, and she's done a lot of great things. Um, she's also a master basket weaver. She's done a lot of courses with me, but she's coming and we're going to do a winter forage hike, learn about the, the winter forest. And then we're going to make a cottonwood, cottonwood salve often referred to as balm of Gilead. It's a very healing salve. This is the time when the storms have come in and the cottonwood trees have, uh, cause they're these huge towering trees and big storms will push the branches down and then you can gather those cottonwood buds and soak them and turn them into a salve. So we're going to do that this weekend. And my, every week I have a blog that I, and I continue now to, to write my weekly field notes blog, but every week is something. Sometimes it's small, sometimes it feels big, um, but it's somewhere in the realm of uh, coming together in community. Sometimes it's solo trips, but um, I mean, I went out a couple weeks ago and made a, we made a fishing pole out of sticks and went and just caught a trout in my local backyard lake. It was awesome. <laughs> and part of that is to, to kind of realize, you know, I mean, I spent a lot on gear this last year, believe, believe me. I mean, it's, it's easy. like, it's a friggin' well, a gateway that ice fishing trip was the gateway to money spendage on pole fishing poles and, ice fishing gear, you know, all the stuff, um, my bow, I mean, the, the, these are expensive investments. So people have to start somewhere. And so it's like, start with what doesn't overwhelm you, you know, and sometimes foraging is a great way foraging for wild plants. Anyone can do that on public land and in parks, you know, you can go start to learn about plants and that doesn't break the bank. And you can go experience a sunrise and sit, make a campfire. And none of those things break the bank. And then I made that, we made this fishing pole literally out of sticks, got some fishing line to it. And I have, it's actually on my Instagram. I posted a thing about it, but, and, uh, and re reeled up a trout, you know, and I cooked up that trout for dinner and it felt really good and it didn't cost anything. And, uh, so these are, you know, I also think it's important to find ways for families and for people to look at rewilding, not as some, this isn't the REI, you know, go, go to, you know, spend a fortune at REI and then, you know, take seize the weekend <laughs> like mindset. It's, it's like, let's break this down that, that nature all season is offering connection and want and welcoming us into the realm of uh, the infinite and the intelligence. And so finding little things to connect uh, is, is a path we can all do. Yeah. It's freeing, isn't it? I mean, the, the more yes. skills you learn, the more independence you have from dependence upon other things. And, yes. And it's just freeing. It's, it's, 
it's amazing to and my hardest thing is, is like I'll sit at home and I on my nightstand I typically have two or three different foraging guides. And every chance I can, if I'm not up late or doing something else or working on something, I'll take them and I'll flip through them before bed and just kind of three or four pages and just go through them and try and just completely memorize them because so many times I'll be out there and I'll be like, oh, you know, what's that? Oh, it's got a, like a basil rosette, you know, just different things like that in my head. And I'm like, I think I know that. What is that? But there's so many times that I don't know it or I think I know it and I go home and I look and I'm like, oh, no, I was wrong. Or, oh, man, I should have picked that. Just things like that because I don't take the guides with me. I just want to kind of immerse myself in that moment and just stumble upon things as I travel through, you know, the woods or whatever. But it's kind of interesting to see the growing process happen when you do that. And it is freeing to know that, man, I do know that. Oh, now I should pick it. You know, all those different things that go through your mind. and then okay, I've got it. Now what do I do with it? What can I mm-hmm. make? And trying to recall from memory before I ever go back to a book and say, okay, well, I can dry this and use it for this or make a tincture or do all these different things. Like right now mm-hmm. I've got a lion's mane tincture soaking. It's soaking in alcohol. Mm-hmm. And after that, I'm going to do a, a hot water extract with it and make a 50-50 blend. And it's going to be great. That's and cool. <laughs> so just all those different things. And then hopefully my maitakis, you know, come up or shiitakes come up here. I'm doing a tabletop farm right now because my inoculated logs won't, you know, have any until the springtime. But so just all these mm. different things is so cool to try and get in there and not only eat them and enjoy them, but to, you know, actually make medicines out of them. Different things. that So when you're make. making your tinctures and your medicines, do you also follow the moon cycles with, with extraction processes and I such? Not. I don't, I don't know if, is that something I should be looking into or? Check it that, out. Okay. It, there, I, I knew of a woman who made um, medicine and, and tinctures and, uh, and a few different resources that they're, you know, historically uh, medicines were extracted at certain times or they, or they were distilled at certain times and all based off the moon hmm. um, and moon cycles and something to just look into. It's interesting. I mean, clearly the moon has power, you know, the, the rising of the moon and the, our moon cycles affect our tides. Yep. They affect uh, real things. This is not uh, just, no, I believe it. <laughs> you know, the moon has a powerful uh, draw and this is part of that wisdom and, and part of that interest in what is it that nature you know, does so perfectly that we're just learning uh, how to do these things or remembering or relearning. And uh, anyway, just look it up sometime. Just to, you might want to interestingly, you know, enough incorporate. Got a friend that I could probably talk to and he would know all about that if I called him up and asked him about it because he seems Perfect. to be quite in tune with all those sorts of things. So that's something I'm going to have to reach out and do because he was the one who kind of inspired me to start making these tinctures. Awesome. So that's pretty cool. But so let's yeah. kind of get into like, I see you use the club method of uh, shooting your bow or at least the three under. Um, how oh, did, okay. How did yeah. that come about? You're talking about, oh, my trad, my yeah, trad, trad bow, my longbow. It's pretty cool. I've got... I, I don't shoot trad anymore, but that's, that's soft spot in my heart for sure, because I did shoot it for a while and kind of just got out of it, but it's always back there and I'll pull it out and play with it every once in a while. Oh, so this is a brand new thing for me. Cause I've, I've spent all year. I, pr- I have a compound bow. That's what I had my, when I just uh, shot my first deer, it was with my compound bow. Um, and that's what I've been practicing on all year. Um, and I just recently, 
um, invested. I, I went with a uh, stalker stick bows, um, South Cox, like top notch. I mean, I went, yeah, like <laughs> I just you went in. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's great about his program is that, um, he has a program just for women and youth where when you, and these are custom bows, but um, my, my draw length, my draw strength is not there yet. I, I can't shoot it a 40 pound draw. And that's, you know, so I think right now I'm like at 20 pounds or something mm-hmm. with, with the, with the long bow. but as you grow in strength, you can send the risers back and then he will replace them with new risers, um, so that you can slowly start to build your strength up, um, and that that's available to women and youth. So that's, that to me was a big part of, um, why I wanted to go with them was so that I could be able to, you know, it's not like if I just, I wanted to be able to keep my form and have great form through the whole thing and, and build that muscle memory. But I'm doing that now when, as I gain the strength, I'll, I'll slowly be increasing to get to where I could hunt with that bow. So you'll change out the limbs then and get heavier limbs as yeah. the time progresses. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's something that, <laughs> Oh, wait, did I say riser? Sorry. Okay. We knew what you you meant. We knew what you meant. Okay. You got me. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's one thing I probably didn't do. And I did not, if I went back and redid it, because I've got so many bad habits with the longbow, I shot completely instinctually. I did two fingers under one over. I would take that one off and use it as my anchor, you know, and I'd put it in the corner of my mouth and it was, I read the book, um, stalking and still hunting I think was the book I read at the time so that's kind of what I based everything off of and I wish I would have went to where I could actually you know do with the three under method and and you know be able to gap things and stuff like that and I never did but I think if I went back I would definitely go that route but I did take one deer with my longbow and then mm. I wounded one and at that point I was like you know I'm just I don't have enough time I don't practice enough with it it's not ethical to the animals and I started mm-hmm. out with too heavy of a bow. I think I started out with like a 50 or 55 pound bow. Oh, yeah. So I, once again, built a lot of bad form and different things that I shouldn't have done. You know, I mean, within 20 yards, I was effective. But anything outside of that range, it just wasn't fair. Right. And I think it's, you know, it's a good decision to make an ethical decision and say, okay, if I'm not going to be proficient enough with this, I'm going to switch back. So that's why I switched back. But I did go full nerd on trad made my own arm guards made my own bone beads for all my different (laughs) stuff Um, cut my own fletchings wood traps, all that I never got into the stone points but that's something uh, I think at some point I'm probably going to get into and at some point I would like to build my own self bow maybe go up to like Clay Hayes and have him teach me and oh yeah uh, you know that'd be awesome learn from him to make a self bow and then find some other people to uh maybe teach me how to nap some flint because I oh think yeah i'm lucky i have a great uh, one of the best flint nip, flint nappers probably ever uh is is a man that i've he's an old timer but oh in fact i do a lot of videos with him on on uh <laughs> with on reels and on uh tiktok he is absolutely the, the greatest character i have ever met i have a tiktok video with him that went I mean, for me, viral, it's got like 160,000 views because this man takes the, like hands down is the most wild and youthful man doing the coolest stuff. I mean, he lives off grid. He's a homesteader. He's an incredible flint napper. He makes all his own bows, arrows, 
everything tools, um, stonework. He's, uh, he's a survivalist. He's, you know, he does all the brain tanning. Um, and he, he has been a mentor for me and I'm actually going to do a class when have him teach, uh, arrow making arrowhead making he's incredible. And, um, I have a video with him where he just like, I hung out with his place and he made some kind of uh, venison stew for me. And he went in the middle of winter. He just like jumped into this pond and swam through it. This, I mean, he's just fun, fun. But anyway, I, it's something I want to get into and experience. Um, I want to nerd out. I want to nerd out in, in the most, like all the things that are these traditional skills. Um, and, uh, I mean, are just original skills, you know, I, I am fascinated with how things were done before we had technology. I mean, how, how were things done? How did, how did we do anything? And the more that gets broken down, I am fascinated by it. Yeah. That's, I mean, direct living skills. I, my friend, Nathan Donnelly, who is on, uh, he was on season six alone and um, he's actually going to teach an emergency preparedness class for wild kind Academy. And he'll be visiting here soon, but he, he used the term direct living skills and I like that, that, that stuck with me. Um, cause it is, it's like direct living <laughs> skills. I don't know. It's like, well, it's like, you can't get that. That's it. That's it. cool is once you learn one skill, it's very transferable into the next thing. Like your basket making, for instance, once you do the basket making, now you can make a fish basket. So now right. you can use that to, for fish, or you can take acorns and put them in that basket and start leaching them in a Creek. And just all these things compound upon one another that were once just life skills. Now it's like little skills that we're learning, but they are skills that build upon each other. And it, it becomes like transitional, just, it, it, I shouldn't say transitional, it becomes fluid where they flow into yeah. the next from one thing to the next. And I've learned how to tan, you know, years ago because I actually wanted to do taxidermy. But then while I was doing it, I was like, I want to make buckskins too, because Maybe one day I'll want to make my own clothing. So, yes. you know, I do all those things and then, you know, they kind of fall to the wayside. My wife tells me, she's like, you have way too many freaking hobbies and half of them you don't even do anymore. And you have all the stuff. And I said, yeah, but honey, any single one of those skills, once I learn that skill, I have that skill forever. I said, that doesn't right. go away. And then, you know, I started making knives. So then the knives flowed into, nice. well, now I need to make holsters or sheaths for the knives. So then I started doing that and I'm like, well, I got to you know, I've got these guns, let's make a holster for the gun, you know, so I actually made for my deer gun. I've got a, a 357, the six inch 357 that I carry for deer hunting, because you can use it during gun season. So I made like a shoulder bandolier with the holster on it, and all that kind of stuff. So it's always there in case I yeah. need it. But then, you know, that transitioned into, well, you know, I've got this trad bow, I can make my own stuff for that. So I made my own leather grips, wrapped the handle and put on, you know, sewed some, I actually took some buckskin and sewed a tip to hold my string on one end so that the string always stays on the end of the bow and you only have to loop the one as you, you know, you step on it and pull the string taut to get it back on, on your, uh, on your knock on the end of the, on the limb. And so all these things just started like flowing together and doing all these things. But then I was like, I'm still missing so many more things, the foraging aspect of it. I don't do primitive fishing. I still don't, but I'm still the kind of guy that in my glove box of any vehicle, I have fish hooks and it's not because it's like, oh my gosh, I need to be prepared. But it's like, how many times do I want to go fishing? And I go, oh man, I forgot some hooks or something. So they're always there. It's always part yeah. of my life, but it's just, my life has become that, but it's, it's pretty neat to see how they all flow 
together. They really do. You know, I am someone, you know, I really, I've lived more of the modern lifestyle. I did, you know, I, I lived in cities and, you know, I just, again, I didn't grow up with this. And so I think there really is a disconnect when you have like, when you think, when, when I just say to some of my fellow city dwellers, like, oh, you have a down comforter, (laughs) you know, that doesn't translate to goose and pulling off the down, you know, the down feathers and stuffing it into something, you know, we don't, it's like our brains don't even make that connection or, um, you know, with, with what I've experienced recently is with my, with the dough that I was blessed with this year, with my first hunt, I kept some of that hide and realized I can, I can tie flies with this. You know, this is, I'm going to use this hair, this deer hair to, to tie fishing flies. And that's one of those kind of utility that, that this is how these are direct living skills, you know, that one thing supports another. And when I came home with a goose, uh, the other night last week or so, um, it wasn't, it was my first time really field dressing, uh, on my own where I didn't have any, any help or any mentorship. I was like, I remember this, I got this cut open the bird. I, you know, figured out how to get the tenderloins out. It was very empowering to go through these steps and do it on my own. But before I uh, cut into the bird, I'm like feeling the down feathers. And I was like, gosh, this is, this is, this is the down that I feel in the down comforter, you know? And so I actually ended up pulling a lot of those feathers and keeping them thinking, well, maybe I'll make a pillow and um, out of this. And uh, again, just for the sake of learning how things used to work and how that this is how humans did things before uh, we had industry. So let's kind of, I want to go into the, the wild, the wild kind academy because you talked about it and you mentioned it the classes but how did that come about how did that at what point were you like okay i want to learn things i want to teach other people things how can we make this happen how can we put it all together and then you know how did you i know you went and did the wilderness uh first or first responder yeah uh, school. yeah i got my whiffer yeah yep. and then all that kind of stuff so i mean how did how did that all come about and how did you put it together at that point that you were going to start educating others as well? Well, it just, I'm a people person and I'm a connector and I'm a community builder. That's just where I thrive. And so I was, I wanted a platform where it was like, you know, I'd go do something great with a mentor. And then I'd tell my friends about it. be like, oh, I just went and did this cool thing. And they're like, Oh, I want to do that. That sounds neat. And the more I kept hearing that feedback, it's like, and I was unemployed at the time, uh, you know, cause like I said, I lost my job and I was like, why don't I just start an academy of learning so that we can all just do this together and, um, it'll be a slow build. It'll be, you know, I'll just add one thing at a time or have one guest instructor. Eventually I'll be doing the teaching and I'll, I'll teach different things. Um, I have, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a health coach. I, my degrees in health and fitness, and I've done many things just in the holistic health realm that, um, I was doing coaching and, and different stuff on, on, from a holistic health model. And I felt that all of that tied in that the, the more I was getting out and doing these skills, it all tied into holistic health. And so I just 
I just did kind of what you said. I was like, how about, I create, you know, why don't I just create this thing? And wild kind Academy came to me on a walk and it was like, that's the name. That's, that's exactly what this is. It just resonated with me and um, got a website up and I've just slowly been adding, you know, courses. Um, I'm going to be building out an online uh, modules as well. So with different things that I'll be, I'll be doing that. And that's kind of coming the online Academy, but it's just what I can do. You know, I'm one person, so I'm just doing as much as I can to bring cool classes. Uh, Right now they're more local, although I have done some classes in Oregon and I'm open to traveling and working with groups and putting things together. I mean, everything's wide open. I I just want to be doing this with community and with people. And I find the more, I, we put it out there and there's a great course or an amazing instructor, a great topic. People love it. They come and they have a blast and they learn a lot. And, and it's just been a great, it's, it's been a great opportunity. I, I love it. No, I think that's so great. I mean, that's the reason I ended up starting the podcast. I wanted to learn, but at the same time, I'm like, how can I surround myself with people one that are like-minded or two can share that knowledge with me, but I don't want to just have it for myself. I could go get a book and read it, but it's not the same as talking to that person or getting to know that person. But at the same time, I want to educate others. So hopefully, you know, I got the podcast together and I'm like, now I can talk to these people, but I can share it. I can ask the questions they might be thinking, but share it with other people. And I, I find that there's a sense of purpose behind that. And I love it. It's so cool to be able to share those things with people and talk and have these conversations and just spark a fire. I mean, like when I talked to Michael Judd, it sparked a fire in me, but I talked to some other people and they're like, I thought it would be boring listening to that. But once I you know, opened up my mind and started listening to it, I started thinking about my property and the things I could do, but not only help the wildlife and bring in the wildlife, but now have stuff that I can have on that property that I can partake in and eat as well and do all these different things and, and have just a working landscape around me. And it's, it's cool to see those things, you know, spark a fire in somebody else too. So it, it's great to get those messages from people and kind of get that sense of purpose yeah. behind that too. So well, um, I think bringing everyone along, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't help us turn the dial in the right direction. If we're not all remembering how, how, how to engage our partnership with the natural world. I mean, it's a, it's an entire, we got to bring everyone along or anyone who's interested, you know, because the, the thing that's going to get us through uh, in the long haul, if we have a system that is uh, wobbly, which we do, it's fragile. fragile. Um, Then the more that people think about these things and engage them and learn and get, get your fire, you know, lit to, to maybe think about permaculture or think about raising honeybees or canning and le- learning new skills that they just, you know, the more we all do that, that I believe that's a method for healing for all of us. Like it's a path through. Return to nature. Yes. Which is actually one of my friends. He's actually Dan return to nature. That's his uh, channel, but it's kind of funny because it, it comes back. It all comes back full circle, you know, on yes. all that stuff for sure. So um, I got to ask you, is there anything else you'd like to talk about or anything like that? I mean, we, I know we could go on forever here, but. I know we really could. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is I, I mean, I just, uh, 
well, I do really appreciate that you have invited me onto your podcast uh, so that we could have a conversation and I could make this connection with you because to meet a fellow forager and uh, and fellow wild kind and someone who's out there doing the great work of, um, you know, you're living it, you're living it with your family, you're homeschooling, you're, you're teaching these skills to your kids and to our next generation. And so I really like to make these connections. They're really important to me to, to know, I mean, you're totally on the other side of the, uh, you know, we're, we, we're like all different sides of the U S here, but we're, you know, we're, it's building these connections and these friendships and knowing that people are out doing this and that they have another resource and another person they can connect with. And, and uh, you know, then we, we do it together. So I really appreciate that you've uh, had me on your podcast and, and that I can meet you and hear a bit more about your story. So I just really appreciate it. Absolutely. So let's, um, before we go, I, I'm kind of curious, um, as these modules come out, where can people find them and get educated from your modules that you're going to be putting out for the education modules? And then if they wanted to, and they are in the Washington area, maybe take a course from you or something like that, where can they do that? Yeah. So go to the website, uh, wildkindacademy.com and subscribe to the newsletter. That would be uh, the the very first thing to do because those uh, subscribers will always get new courses and find out what's happening locally in Washington state. I'm also doing some things in Oregon and eventually in Idaho, but there will be into traveling and into putting things together for anyone anywhere. Um, so subscribe because that's that's how you'll get you'll hear about uh, also when the online courses and the online academy and the different uh, opportunities to learn wherever you live will be available. Um, you can find me on Instagram and I'm Jess underscore Wild Kind Academy uh, on TikTok. I'm Wild Kind Jess. And uh, I, any one of those platforms, uh, you know, I'm just sharing the adventures and sharing the learning, but certainly through the website sub- subscription is where you'll know how to apply some of these if you're interested in learning. That's awesome. I appreciate you coming on and thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. And thank you. It's been a real joy to meet you. Absolutely. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.